from WJFF Radio Catskill, this is Close to Home, the podcast that explores the people, issues, and institutions in the Catskill Mountains, the heart of small-town America. I'm your host, Leif Johansson. Hey, thanks for tuning in. We're taking a break this week from our Rural Transportation Infrastructure series to do a quick romp through a truly riveting topic, the administrative divisions of New York State. Okay, kidding. That makes paint drying sound like a thrill ride. But as boring as they sound, these administrative divisions are actually pretty weird. Growing up in the Catskills, I knew that we had towns and villages and hamlets, but it was never clear to me what that meant or why we seemed to have different classifications for places that just didn't seem all that different from one another. So I thought it might be worth doing a short episode on what these different municipal administrative divisions are and how they came to be. First, let's zoom out a little bit. The fundamental idea behind these divisions is that there is a classification hierarchy for places in the United States. Obviously, the United States is at the top, and below that we have 50 states, 5 territories, and a federally administered District of Columbia. Although DC is pushing hard to change its classification to a state, which is a fascinating topic in and of itself that is totally worth reading up on if you have a few minutes. When we get to our administrative divisions below the level of states and territories, that's when stuff starts to get a little odd. Because when the United States was founded, one of its core principles was states' rights as a way of decentralizing our government enough that a dictatorial monarchy was, for all intents and purposes, impossible. And in practice, that meant that states had a lot of autonomy in deciding how they would organize themselves. For example, when we look at just one order of classification below the level of states, we have counties, right? Everyone in the United States lives in a county. But even that's not true. Already, the standardization begins to unravel just two levels down from the country as a whole. The state of Louisiana doesn't have counties. It has parishes. And the state of Alaska has boroughs instead of counties, which is completely different from the boroughs that we would find in New York City or New Jersey. And half of Alaska falls within what they call unorganized boroughs, which actually aren't boroughs at all. They're just extra land that we don't really know what to do with. There is also something called an independent city, which is a city not within a county at all, because it was historically chartered as its own autonomous region operating only under the umbrella of a state instead of a county governmental structure. And there are 41 of these countyless cities in the United States, including Baltimore, Maryland, Carson City, Nevada, and St. Louis, Missouri. And the other 38 are just all the cities in the state of Virginia, 
because Virginia state law dictates that any area incorporated as a city within that state is outside the jurisdiction of a county. Below the level of counties, we have towns, sort of, usually. There are tons of exceptions to this as well. In many southern states, for example, there are no towns, and instead, counties are the smallest unit of government. In California, towns and cities are the same thing. In New Jersey, there are both towns and townships, and of course, a township is a completely different municipal classification than a town. In Pennsylvania, there are boroughs instead of towns, which are also different from the administrative classification of Alaska's boroughs and New York City's boroughs. And below towns, any semblance of standardization across different states pretty much disappears. Most states have villages, but the definition of a village and its municipal structure and governance is completely different from state to state. In some states, villages must have less than 5,000 people. In others, they must have less than 500 people. In New York, they must have more than 500 people. And in some states, a, quote, village classification is illegal altogether. All of that said, let's take a look at New York State. Things here are actually fairly straightforward. We have 62 counties, and every place in the state exists within a county, including New York City, whose population of 8.4 million people sprawls between five different counties, Kings, Queens, Richmond, Bronx, and New York. So people living in Manhattan live in New York City in New York County in New York State. Just to stick it to those slimy New Jerseyans living across the river, below the county division in New York, we have cities and towns which sort of operate on the same level. As per our own state laws, cities cannot exist within towns. So in New York, you either live in a city or a town. Right now, about 54% of New Yorkers live in a city, and 42% of New Yorkers live specifically in New York City. But New York City is actually only one of 62 cities in New York State. And yes, we have 62 cities and 62 counties, and it would be so satisfying if we had one city per county, but of course, that's not how it works. So that means that 13% of New York residents are divided up between the other 61 cities. So doesn't that mean that some of those cities must be pretty small? Well, yes, because there is actually no population or land area requirement to be a city in New York State. New York's smallest city by population is the city of Sherrill, which has less than 3,100 residents. And the state's smallest city by area is the city of Mechanicville, with a land area of only 0.83 square miles and a population of about 5,200 people. The other 46% of New Yorkers live in towns rather than cities, and New York State is divided into 932 towns. Towns in New York State often provide a pared-down, localized version of county services, such as local road maintenance, sewage treatment, town courts, tax collection, and local planning and zoning boards. 
The largest town in New York by population is Hempstead, over on Long Island, with a population of 760,000 people. And the town with the fewest people is Red House, over in western New York, with only 38 permanent residents. Sullivan County is divided into 15 different towns, and lacking any cities in our county, you cannot exist in any location in Sullivan County without being in a town. However, that was almost not the case. I recently got in touch with Sullivan County historian John Conway, who we previously heard from on Close to Home in our episodes about Catskills Dairy Farms. And John told me that Sullivan County did actually have a city at one point. It was called the City of Douglas, and it was chartered in 1867, only to be abandoned five years later. It was meant to rival Binghamton in its size and industrial strength, and it was located near where Long Eddy is today, on the northwest side of the county along the Delaware River. The plan was to dam the river and use its energy to power an entire city's worth of industry. Except, the dam project never really got off the ground, in part because of the impact it would have had on the then-booming timber rafting industry by lowering the water level downstream from the dam and making it harder to float rafts down the river. But without that power from the river, any significant industrial development was impossible in the mid-19th century. So it wasn't long until folks gave up, and Sullivan County's token city disappeared. Below towns, we have 556 villages in New York. We can basically think of villages as miniature cities, except they exist within towns, so they are a more local administrative division than towns. The other key difference between villages and cities in New York is related to their legal framework. Almost all villages in New York have to follow a uniform statewide village law that dictates how they can operate. For example, they have to have a mayor and a village board, and they have to maintain certain local infrastructure. They have to manage tax collection, fire departments, cemeteries, and sidewalks in certain ways. Cities, on the other hand, are far more autonomous in that for the most part, they get to create their own set of laws and regulations to operate under. So different cities often function completely uniquely from one another while most villages have a more one-size-fits-all charter established by the state. And in terms of population, even though communities must have 500 residents to incorporate as a village, there is no upper population limit on villages in New York. So the village of Hempstead, which is inside the town of Hempstead that I mentioned a minute ago, has a population of 55,000 people, which is larger than most cities in New York. Finally, below villages, things get a little less clear-cut. Because if an area isn't chartered as a village or a city, it's just an unincorporated place, no matter how many people live there. You might know these types of places as 
hamlets, but there's actually no legal basis for that. The term hamlet is never defined in New York state law. It's just a colloquial word that we use to refer to, in the words of the Oxford English Dictionary, a small settlement generally smaller than a village. But there's not much evidence that that's the case in New York. The impetus for incorporating as a village, or for that matter choosing to remain an unincorporated place, isn't necessarily related to the population of the settlement at all. Here in Sullivan County, if we were to set Monticello and Liberty to the side, as these are the major population centers of the county, the average population of the remaining villages is 30% less than the average population of the unincorporated places in our county. The village of Jeffersonville, for example, has 369 residents in it, according to 2019 statistics, while the hamlet of South Fallsburg has about 2,500 people. So why would a place decide to incorporate or not? Well, when I asked county historian John Conway about this as well, he said it's just a matter of a group of people at some point in our county's several hundred year history deciding to do it, and to have governance and municipal services that are unique from the towns. In reading into some specific historical examples, it's often based in local politics and personal disagreement about how a community should be run. And it can go the other way, too. In 1977, the village of Rosendale in Ulster County disincorporated and merged its services with the town of Rosendale because of a slew of mismanaged finances and utilities in the village that resulted in the local water and sewage systems essentially falling apart with not nearly enough tax revenue to fix them and make it safe to drink the local water again. And in an ironic twist, after years of infighting and emotional turmoil about whether to abandon Rosendale's status as a village, the state and federal government stepped in right after the village finalized its disincorporation and fully funded a new water and sewage system for the hamlet, thus mitigating the very reasons the village disincorporated in the first place. It's also worth mentioning that even though New York State hamlets aren't strictly real in a legal sense, they are recognized as, quote, census-designated places, which the U.S. Census Bureau defines as a statistical entity, legal mumbo-jumbo, comprising a densely settled concentration of population that is not a part of a city or a village, but is locally identified by a name. So if people call a place by a name and people live in that place, it's officially a census-designated place, and it's usually marked with its own U.S. post office. And if all that, from counties to cities to towns to villages to fake hamlets and census-designated places, isn't confusing enough, we have a trove of even smaller administrative divisions in the U.S., including library districts, fire districts, school districts, lake protection and rehabilitation districts, and several more that are unique from state to state. So oftentimes, if a complete stranger were to tell you what administrative districts they lived in, from state all the way down to the triangulation between fire, school, and library district, each of which, by the way, come with their own tax codes, 
there is a solid chance that you could pinpoint where they live to within a few streets. And that complicated jumble of place classifications and local tax structures is the administrative essence of the United States on a local level. In a time when it's so easy to focus on our national narrative, I think it's important from time to time to remind ourselves that here on the ground of the longest standing democracy in human history, it's a pretty bizarre place. And that is in part because we are working within a decentralized framework largely developed 250 years ago. We have a dozen different classifications of boroughs because people on one side of the country in the mid-1800s had no idea how people on the other side of the country were coming up with local administrative divisions. So they came up with their own system, and they made it work. And for all the headaches that I'm sure these widely disparate classification systems have caused people throughout the centuries, I think these quirks are also part of the American identity. These differing nomenclatures and districting methods across different regions speak to rich local histories and the drive of small communities to make their mark on the American experiment. Plus, for better or for worse, we're stuck with it now. Thanks for listening to this short, interviewless episode of Close to Home from WJFF Radio Catskill. I'm Leif Johansson, and we'll be back with more conversations here in the Catskills next week. Until then, stay safe, stay dry, and try to get outside before you regret not doing so in four months when it's freezing cold. Have a great week. <laughs>